Sales Tuners, Episode 56, Dave Inmark, Director of National Business Development at the True Value Company. And I think we forget to check in on some of those key drivers and validate them and just ask the question, if we solve for these things, are we on the right path? This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Colin Powell, who said there are no secrets to success. It is the result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. Today, I'm joined by Dave Inmark, Director of National Business Development for the True Value Company. Dave has had a varied sales career, delivering solutions in security, software, hardware, and even franchise development. He's an avid competitive cyclist, spending the majority of his downtime on a saddle with shaved legs, and the balance of his time rooting for the Texas Longhorns while residing right smack dab in the middle of Oklahoma, surrounded by Sooner and Cowboy fans. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our new sponsor, Pipedrive. I've been using Pipedrive as my CRM for almost five years. As soon as you see it, you'll know why. Pipedrive was built to give us salespeople unmatched visibility into our pipeline so we can stay focused on the only thing we can control in sales. Actions that push deals to close. Add in the timely notifications that reduce the likelihood of human error and ensure no deal falls through the cracks. My listeners can check it out for 30 days completely free by going to salestuners.com slash pipedrive. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 56. But now, let's get to the conversation where Dave describes the daily opportunity he gets to help people build their American dream. I think probably the number one thing that motivates me with True Value Company is is that we get to work with independent retailers. So I work every day with people chasing the American dream. It's it's all about American entrepreneurship. It's It's really about them being their own boss, realizing their dream and providing for them and their families. It's a lot of legacy building and and building things for their children and and to pass on. It's that perpetuating American business and third, fourth, fifth generation. We're we're even working right now with somebody who's in their seventh generation in their business. So probably the number one thing that motivates me and what I do with your value is is that I get to work with those type of people. It's selling and it's, it's selling even in a retail environment, but Really, what what motivates me is that it's about driving that American dream. I love that. And Dave, a lot of my listeners are, you know, they're they're in the tech space, they're in the software space and things like that. But the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is just because you you are doing a real sales process. And at the end of the day, we have to sell something to a human being. It doesn't matter what brand or logo, you know, is on the wall outside the the shop, but we have to get a human being to move something. And and the sales process that you've had to build around this, I just think is a valuable one. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Dave, during this uh, show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. Now, you always haven't been the person that you are today. So so take me way back. You know, Again, you've done everything from software, hardware, now franchise development. But how did you actually get into sales? I got into sales through uh, ADT security systems. It uh, was a job that 
uh, gave me a lot of flexibility. You know, as you mentioned in the intro, I, I spend a lot of my time riding my bike when I'm not working. And back then I was more focused probably on my bike than my selling career. And it was a job that gave me a ton of flexibility. I had a degree in criminology and I kind of fell out of bed one day and said, well, I can sell a little bit. I don't have to work that hard. I'll just do this. And so it was probably the absolute worst reason to get into sales and selling because I promise I did not take it seriously at all. But that that's where I started. Well, ADT actually has a pretty good training program for, for people coming right out of school and into the sales world. But uh, you know, I want to get personal real quick. Talk to me about your time in the saddle. I know I mean, I, I know you for almost 20 years now. I know how much time you spend on there and the fact that you shave your legs on a regular basis still makes me laugh. But talk to me about that. What is the driver behind that? I've just always enjoyed cycling. I, I got into it um, you know, as a way to rehab my knee back when I was in college. Started racing a little bit. Um, when I was in college at Ball State University, got to travel around, race, race some other schools. And then, uh, you know, from that started doing some other racing, both in the Midwest and, and around and get, got into criterium racing. And it's just one of those things that has, uh, continued to stick. So now I'll race mountain bikes, road bikes, uh, just really enjoy it. It's, a, it's low impact, great way to, to clear your head. And, uh, actually I do probably the majority of my thinking about, what I'm going to do for, for work or, you know, in sales situations, a lot of that comes from rolling down the road more so than sitting behind a computer desk. It's amazing how that happens. We all have to find that that space for us to truly be able to think. I remember early in my career, I had a mentor that I was talking to and I said, I don't understand the role of a CEO. It doesn't look like they actually produce anything. What do they actually do? And he looked at me, said, they think. And that just, it was so, at this time, I'm a young 23-year-old kid. It just sounds so stupid to me. Like, what do you mean he thinks? We all sit here and think, right? Like, (laughs) but the older I've gotten and the more, you know, I've, I've spent time in my career and by no means am I perfect. I still have a lot to learn. But I finally now, like I carve space out in my day and in my week, you know, for you, it's on a bike. For me, it's it's walking by myself on a golf course. But like that just gives me that time to truly step outside of the day to day and think about what's happening next. So I love the fact that uh, that you shared that. Dave, when you were starting ADT, you said you didn't take it that seriously. But what were some of the things, those early challenges that you had to kind of overcome uh, when you were first getting started in your career? I was probably your typical you know, green salesperson and that every, every sales call became a, a data dump of every key feature and benefit and, and product piece of information that I could memorize. And I, I know that I just absolutely would, you know, walk in and, and almost throw up all that information on anyone looking for, you know, that, that product set and, and the, thing that is kind of unique in that is that a lot of times even with ADT you're dealing with people who who have had generally they're either know someone who's been through a robbery or a real invasion of their personal space so there's a lot of emotion in that that as to why they're buying and I it, it took me a while to really wrap my head around the the emotional tie and understanding why they were buying and what affected that versus my coming in and really just talking about, we have the best keypad, we have the best window sensor, we have the best of, you know, monitoring or or all those other things. And it, you know, quite frankly, all those people really cared about is, 
did we have the best way to make them feel more safe and secure? It, none of the how the stuff worked at the end of the day probably mattered to them. They they wanted to trust that you knew what you were doing, but they were really buying a feeling of security, either from, from fire or somebody breaking in their home. And it, it took me a while, I think, to really start to realize that's what the conversation should be and what mattered versus my coming in and just dumping key features and benefits on them. My guess is, Dave, if you were fired from from ADT and you went to work the next day for your competitor, from a features and benefits standpoint, you'd basically be spouting the exact same thing. You would then say, look, now, you know, XYZ companies, uh, window sensors are the best and this feature is the greatest and all that kind of stuff. And so that intellectual piece isn't what mattered. But but so this seems like a pretty difficult thing to do. How did you make that transition to understand that the feelings of the customer, that emotion of the customer is is how you needed to sell? How did you make that transition? I was probably at it maybe a month or two. And back in those days, it was way before cell phones and, and all those things, you know, dating myself a little bit. I was going to say, you're definitely showing your age there. Yeah, we had pagers that there was a call center somewhere in Florida. And it was it, it was a pager that could do text. And so they would text you an appointment. And this must have been four or five in the morning that I get a text. It, it woke me up and it had an appointment that I was supposed to be at at nine or 10 that morning. And it was, it was people who had been broken into the night before and they had seen people in the home. So, so they were there. Wow. And one of the first calls they made was to ADT. We get, you know, we have to get an alarm system. We have to replace these doors. We have to, to do all of those things one would think to do when when they've had that type of of invasion and it that was kind of the light bulb moment for me because you were more of a just a compassionate ear telling them that it was going to be okay and what you were going to do is going to help that that healing process and that was probably the epiphany for me to realize I needed to talk less about the stuff because they absolutely didn't care all they wanted to know is is when it could go in and when they would feel safe again and they could sleep in their own home. That that probably was the the time or that that real shift for me. It's making me emotional to hear you uh, only because it's been 10 years now, but the Sunday night after a Thanksgiving weekend, my house was actually broken into while I was there with my fiance. And I will tell you that that sense of, of insecurity, it just drives everything. You know, within days, I had a dog, a gun and a, and a home security system because, you know, I had to protect the most valuable things that I had. So it's you're right. That emotion matters a lot. Dave, you again, there's been a lot of things. I'm, I'm not going to skip over all your career, but but I want to now get to where you are today. Now you're getting independent hardware store uh, owners to switch over to a franchise or, or a co-op operation here with with true value. It, it kind of seems like you're back in that same mode. You're selling to a human being to get them to to do something different. What's that look like today for you? How are you opening up opportunities? I think in, at any point in my career, it's always been about identifying the emotional need or, or really why they're having the conversation and, and then backing into the logic part of the brain that says, hey, this is a good decision. So the ROI justification or all of that. And, and with True Value, there's a lot of different dynamics that are at play when you look at somebody who's an independent entrepreneur that's that's facing a million different things coming at them. Everything from how do I 
comply with new credit card compliance with chip readers and and have to shoulder that cost as an independent retailer? How do I deal with the Affordable Care Act? How do I deal with changes in state and local tax code? There's just a ton of things that come at them. And then couple that with, I have kids who I want to bring back into the business, and now I have two families I need to feed out of this business versus one. Um, so my cost to live out of it has gone up. My revenue maybe is the same. So there's a ton of different things that you really have to to understand and get to know and identify to develop a plan to help people either perpetuate what they've done or or build something new. And you know we see that all the time with transitions of you know kids coming back into the business or you know, people who have said, I'm, I'm done with corporate America and I want to be my own boss. I want to, I want to pave my own road and I'm going to do it on my own. And, you know, I've, I've sat at those meetings where guys are talking about, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to empty out my 401k into a C corp and let's, let's do a store. And, and you're playing with somebody's future there. So it's, it's almost that same security piece that I dealt with at the beginning of my year. There's a ton of risk. And and you really have to be on top of managing that risk and not putting a family in jeopardy. And and I always look at these situations and and there's nothing that keeps you more honest than when they have young children. And I I've dealt with that multiple times. And, you know, a young couple starting out, they got a three year old, a five year old, and, and they were trying to build a future for them and you wanna do that. But at the same time, you have to protect them and manage that level of risk. So while it's easy to say, hey, I want to close this and get the sale, you, you have to do it with integrity and, and with a lot of foresight to make sure that you're, you're kind of guiding them or on the right pathway for them so that they can attain their dream sustainably. You use that phrase, the American dream, and, and I love it because it, it truly is just that. It is the American dream that we can go out, we can be our own boss, we can make our own our living, kind of leave our own legacy, and and they're able to do this, you know, with with a store, uh, with the with the hardware source that they're creating. One of my clients, Dave, it's interesting. They they sell a lot of uh, marketing services and marketing software to uh, HVAC companies. Oftentimes, I'll listen to calls that they've had, and they're going in, they're talking about, hey, how much do you want to have your HVAC company grow? How many trucks do you want to have on the road next year? How many more leads do we need to get you? And all that kind of stuff. And they, the, 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 the deals end up stalling at that point. Yeah, they're not asking why. Yeah, they're not asking why. And it's it, you're leading me down that path because what I go in and I'll listen to this call and I'll be like, hey, ask him about this. And and you're talking about this transition of family stuff. And like what I've heard now multiple times through this client is they want their son to take over the business. And it's the yeah. only thing that matters to them. And if you just focus your time there and you get him to understand that you are the, the you know, knight in shining armor that can deliver the value in the company to get that thing to happen, all the other stuff you want to talk about will, will just come to, to be. Dave, you've moved to more of a, a managerial role in today's world. So you've got to coach salespeople to do just this. It feels to me like the experiences that you've had have led you to the knowledge that you now uh, retain. But how do you transfer that? How do you coach your salespeople to, to do the things that you know they need to be doing? 
it's tough because everybody has their own style. And, and probably one of the hardest things for me is, you know, having been a, an individual producer or, or doing it my way is letting go of that level of control. So, so you really have to understand your people and you have to understand even much like you would a, a prospect or, or a customer, how do they work? What motivates them? And start to talk through how they can then use that as, as their individual driver. So I've, I've got guys that have kids in college and, and we talk a lot about, you know, what are they doing to make sure they're ready for that? And then very quickly transitioning to, well, this particular store, if they don't get X number of additional revenue, won't be able to send their kid to college. How do we make that the theme of our sale? talk to to that part of it and then coach them on the the retail things that need to happen to drive the increase in sales either from coming to true value or remodeling a store or doing another store you know going from store 2 to store 3 or store 7 to 8 or or whatever that may be but really understanding in their own life kind of doing that assimilation of hey I I've, I've got to send my kid to college and I've done this with the 529 and these other things and then kind of cascading that same thing into their sales process so that they get better alignment and they can really talk to it and when you make it more personal you can really drive the outcome because it's it's about the relationship and understanding them as people and what they're trying to do versus I'm just trying to sell them something it sounds easy as you and I just kind of sit here and talk about it though, but how do you get to that point? Let's get tactical. So how do you personally or, or how through your, your team do you get them to start to have that conversation? On your first call, what are you doing? It's funny. When I have hired new salespeople, a lot of the times they'll say, well, what sales collateral do we have? What do we, what do we take in? What, what do you leave behind? What do, you, what do we have that we would take on a first sales call? And when I travel with guys in the field, I, I drive them crazy because I walk in with my business card and nothing else. It's about a conversation. I tell them a little bit about who we are. I've got a couple of, uh, you know, that 15, 30 second elevator speech about true value, what we do and, and why it's relevant to them. But very quickly, I'm, I'm asking questions about them, their business. How long have they been in business? Do they have kids in the business? How many stores do they have? Do they have desire to have more stores? Who else in the market's putting pressure on them? How are they dealing with some of the you know, small retail pressure that's out there today? From Amazon and the big box coming in to how do you deal with you know, forced minimum wage increases in Seattle, Los Angeles, and some of those markets. So it's very much a conversation. One, it's it's much less intimidating to somebody to not have a sell sheet or something shoved in their face as the reason for your call. It's just a conversation. It's making a friend. And it lets them let their guard down. You have a conversation. It's pretty easy to then say, hey, I'm going to be back next week. Do you mind if I bring you a couple of things on True Value? I didn't want to waste your time with it today, but obviously it's good for you and I to know each other. Let me run it back by. And you automatically have, have a reason to call another stop. And you've gained permission to come back and you didn't really have to try that hard. 
permission for me is the key to what you're saying there. So it sounds like you're going in, you're establishing some credibility. It's like, hey, you know, in the other people, other types of companies that I've talked to, here's some of the problems they're telling me that I, that they are dealing with. Now, I don't know that you're having these, but can you tell me a little about some of the pressures that you see? And then, like you said, that's just opening up. Is that is that accurate? Absolutely. And, and with my guys, we've really started to build tactical sales plans and and. I drive them crazy with this because I want to know the two or three key business drivers that are the reason for the sale. Why would they make a transition? And with that, the next phase of that would be then what is our theme for the remainder of the sale? What, what is the theme? So it's, it's going to be, so let's say, you know, XYZ hardware has, you know, as we've had some conversations, we've identified that their son is graduating from college. They've been able to pay for college, but he wants to come back into the business. Well, potentially you're going to have two families at some point in time that need to live out of this business that was pretty capable of supporting one family, let's say comfortably, but could have some strain if he gets married, has kids, has to do some of these things. And, you know, the independent entrepreneur, his retirement or 401k really is a revenue stream from his business. When he says, hey, I'm retired, generally that cash burden doesn't go away. So you have to really think through, what do I need to do to perpetuate that for all of them? That quickly can become your theme. And as you run into objections of, you know, I don't like true values freight rate, or I don't like you know, how you guys do X, it, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you can always circle back, hey, totally get it, something we're aware of, but don't forget at the end of the day, what matters to you is that we get into another store and, and you kind of walk through that because you need the revenue. And and all of those ancillary things, the the little feature and benefit nuances really don't mean shit. At the end of the day, if you're solving for the overall need, which is for their son to come in and and have that additional revenue. We do a lot with what are the key drivers? Have we identified those? And and we have stages of our sales process that we monitor in our CRM tool. And we talk through that of of where are you in in the sales process? And if you can't tell me some of those key things on the business drivers and a theme, you may not really be done with the discovery piece. You you probably don't need to be talking much about true value and what we do because you're still learning about them. So we have some what I would say are go and no go gates that we kind of build into our process so that we can make sure that do we have a good theme? Do we have good tactics? And then we can start to quarterback the right people in and out of the sale. You're delivering some gold here. So I want to stop you just so that we can dive in a little bit further. These two to three core business drivers, this is fantastic, right? But here's what I know some of my listeners are thinking. It's like, well, just tell us what those two to three business drivers are. Like, how do we just get there immediately? How do we short circuit? Why do I don't want to have to deal with all the different discovery questions and conversations and meetings. Why can't I just ask them what the two to three core drivers are? And it, what they're missing is the point, right? It's not the content. The content of what they're doing isn't doesn't isn't what matters. It's the context. It is that why. And you tied that up as to the theme of the deal. I'm loving this. This is a great takeaway for for everybody listening. So that's good stuff. What I really like there as well is that you tell your people, hey, you're you're probably not done with discovery. 
if you don't have these things yet, you you're still way back here. You got to go back to the beginning. So I want to ask Dave, how do you, or, or not how, but what have you seen be the biggest thing or the biggest reason people, your salespeople lose control of their sales process? They probably don't understand what those business drivers truly are. They probably didn't do some of the, what I would say are, are the check-in questions to validate that they are lockstep in what the goals for the customer are. And and what I mean by that is this, you know, let's say, Jim, you're, you know, going to have, have your son come into to your business. And we're talking about how we're going to move that business down the road and, and perpetuate it, be ready for him to come into it. And, and I may say to you, you know, Hey Jim, if you need $120,000 of additional revenue so that he can take us out of there, you, you miss you. Oh yeah, that probably makes sense. And if he had that with that guarantee, he's in the business long-term. Well, yeah, I think, you know, that, that would probably get him in the business. Okay, Jim. So is him being in the business, your ultimate goal, what else do we need to solve for to help make that happen? And and I think we forget to check in on some of those key drivers and validate them and just ask the question, if we solve for these things, are we on the right path? And I think we make assumptions. And I think that's where my guys potentially could lose control of it. They get happy years. They hear some things. They believe they've identified the driver. and while it may be something that is relevant or makes sense because it's an industry buzzword or it's a metric that everybody knows they should strive to attain from the National Retail Hardware Association, whatever that may be, they do hear that or or throw that out and, and get some head nodding, but they don't make that emotional tie into that and and probably couldn't come back and twist the pain knife a little bit and say, so if we only could get $60,000 more revenue, Jim, for your son to come into the business, would he stay in the business? Well, no, I don't know that he could live on that. Well, if he couldn't and he left, what, you know, what would that mean to you? And you may say, well, you know, he probably needs to do what's right for him and I would just sell it. You know, that could be an option. You may say, well, we've got to figure this out because I want him in the business. And then you get an opportunity to really see where are they in the sales process. And if you don't check in on those, those drivers and you don't test that theme repetitively, that's where I think you'll lose control of it. Continuously testing that theme. I like that. When, when I heard you say, Hey, if your son doesn't want to come back into the business, what do you do? You started going on that path of, well, maybe it's just not for him. He needs to do what's right for him. Um, maybe I would just sell the business. Like I would, I, I'm thinking like, I'm going to follow up with, are you okay with that? And let him, and let him just come back. You know, no, I'm not okay. I want him in this business. Right. And like, as soon as you start to get someone even a little bit angry, a little bit frustrated, or even a little bit sad, right. If, if you can bring out tears with somebody, I'm not encouraging you to do that, but if you can bring out tears of raw emotion, you've got someone hooked. They are ready to move where you want to go. It's funny, Dave, there's, um, in 52 episodes, I had never had anyone mention happy ears, which I love by the way, uh, until Katie early said it about three weeks ago. And now you're the third person in three weeks that have said it. So I love that. <laughs> uh, it's so true. Getting happy ears, just like, well, I got one. I, now I got to go back and just close this deal. And that's all that matters. 
what I liked about too, you know, not doing these check-in questions, not tying it back to the, the actual theme, right? And validating, you know, is this the reason for us to move forward? Trish Bertuzzi, all the way back in like episode 18, I'll have to find it. But, you know, she talked about, we have lost the art of the close. People aren't trying to close anymore. Like, why are we not trying to close? So I love that. Dave, I've got to take a quick break so I can say thank you to our sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And Sales Tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales Tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Dave, are you ready for the money round? I am. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Enhancing the details and and thinking through the strategy. I think that as salespeople, we probably believe that we're pretty good at, at talking to people, engaging with people, have that gift of gab, if you will. But I think that what we don't think through is is the strategy. And we're not looking for three, four, five calls down the road. We think that if I could close it on this call, we're so confident in that ability. And so we're not multiple steps ahead. And and when I started to really lay out what's our what's the strategy, what level of detail, what's the check-in, how am I doing those things? That's when I really started to see my sales career turn. And, and that's what I try to cascade to my sales team today. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? I would really focus more on on fit and the detail piece of that and and profitability and and I'll you know at a high level what I'll tell you is in the past you know you probably say hey I I've, I've got this opportunity and I'm going to close it in 30 days as a sales manager that makes me completely crazy when I hear that because the next question I have is, okay, well, what do you need to do for the next 30 days to make that happen? And I was told many moons ago by, by a gentleman that hope is not a strategy. <laughs> well, I hope that this happens, and then if it does, I'll get this sale. Well, hope is not something that we can drive the outcome on. So what are the three, four, five key things that you need to do from a follow-up and engagement perspective to drive that. And so I I think that if I were going to spend the next 30 days doing something, it would be understanding the detail and fit from from an emotional perspective. And then how do I tie the, the logic part, the ROI part into that so that I can trigger that emotion and validate it with the ROI, then push for closure. Two part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? So it's funny because I, as, as a person, and, you know, I, as you mentioned before, I, I've raced my bike and got, got into cycling years ago and have raced a lot of times. So I, I kind of look at winning and losing through a couple of different lenses. And I can tell you, I am somebody who absolutely hates to lose, but what I have learned is that I, I love winning more. That's probably a change from my past. And, 
where I think I changed is I now focus on what is the right fit from a profitability perspective, from a deliverable perspective, and those sorts of things. And in the past, I have probably chased deals and even won deals that I may have thought I won, but I didn't win anything. It, it, it probably wasn't profitable enough. It probably wasn't a good enough fit. It probably had too much friction in it. Learning today to be able to identify deals that are good fits, that are profitable, and being able to win those, I love. It's taken me a long time to get comfortable with losing deals because they're shit deals. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? A couple of them. I, you know, one that I've seen recently and, and I had the, the pleasure of getting to, to meet the author and, and he came and spoke at, a, at an event I was at is Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Very philosophical look at how do you really check that ego and, and not be about you, really understand how you engage with people and be in the moment helping them versus worried about your thing? Uh, so that's one that I've I've looked at a couple of times, probably need to go through again, but really enjoyed that one. Another one that I look at all the time, just because it's quick and easy and fast, and it kind of keeps me grounded, is the Sandler Rules. It's just quick snippets. It's a couple of pages, and I can grab one at a time, even even so much so that we talk to it on my team sales calls. We'll we'll pick out one of the rules. It's a page and a half, two pages. And we'll even talk through that as a team on a sales call for five or 10 minutes just to sharpen their skills. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Dave's suggestion of The Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Dave, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? Nothing to do with career or selling, but I I would love to go see the Tour of Flanders in Belgium in the spring. It's a bike race. It's over a hundred years old. It's it's on old Flemish cobbled roads that the Romans built. Uh, absolutely not built for bicycles, but uh, they race over it anyway. Some point in my lifetime, I will get over and see that in in April. Dave, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? The biggest thing is to identify what are your key opportunities. Find those 5, 10, 12 of them that you're working and stop what you're doing and write out a sales plan from right now all the way to closure. Every step, every phone call, every touch point, every piece of literature, whoever you need to also engage. So if you, if you are in a team selling environment, you're, you're going to bring in somebody who's a subject matter expert, whatever you're going to do, lay it out. You're not going to hit the dates exactly, but it, it really will help you understand what do I need to do? What do I need to drive as a quarterback of my own selling process to get to the end? And I think a lot of people miss that level of detail and, and how many touches and what goes into the sale. Again, I think we we believe that we could close it on every visit, and, and that's simply not the case. There are key things you need to demonstrate. There are key things you need to check in on, and, and you really need to work through that as a process. And taking the time to be detailed, to lay that out, and, and be methodical and think through it, and then own it and stick to it 
and share it with others. If you need a subject matter expert, share the sales plan with them. Tell them you're going to have to count on them. Make them accountable for part of that as well. And if you own that and you drive that level of accountability, you'll be more successful. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today? Easiest way to get a hold of me is probably via my email. It's just david.inmark at gmail.com. Dave, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being on Sales Sooners. No, I enjoyed it, Jim. Thanks for the time. I've known Dave for over 20 years now and loved getting more insight into his professional career. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, intellect versus emotion. People don't buy for intellectual reasons. They buy emotionally and rationalize after the decision has been made. Rather than doing a feature benefit vomit, get to know the person you're attempting to sell to and understand what is motivating their desire to change. Number two, define the theme of an opportunity. If you're able to define the top two to three business drivers of an opportunity, I'm talking real pain here, not just indicators of pain, you should be able to define an overarching theme for each individual opportunity. This will help you overcome typical objection BS by getting back to the prospect's real why. And number three, create a close plan. Hope is not a strategy. I've heard way too many reps tell me they're going to close a deal or a hot lead in 30 days, yet they can't tell me a single step they need to take in order to get there. Creating a close plan forces you to think through a realistic timeline and put anchors on a calendar by listing every meeting you'll need, which pieces of content the prospect will likely want, who from your team will need to get involved, and dates that each of those will happen. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.SalesTuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. And they stay there. If corn is made from corn oil and vegetable oil is made from vegetables, what is baby oil made from?